Right, all right. Good morning, Project Church. How's everybody doing? Awesome, awesome. So glad that you're here with us. I'm Chrissy Cole. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, so excited about what's happening at church. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship. Thank you, missionaries, our, our global partners, for coming here and just spurring us on to live a life of passion. The way you've surrendered your life is inspiring. And so that's actually what I'm talking about today, I'm talking about passion this morning. Um, the, the series that we're in the middle of is Lighten Up, and pretty much we're telling the church, hey, let's lighten up, and the, and the tagline really tells you everything that we're talking about, breaking free from the prison of performance and success. How many people know in this day and age, we're all about achieving, achieving the American dream even, and performing and succeeding and attaining and obtaining more and more in this world when God is telling us you need to surrender it all. And when you surrender it all, the load and the, the weight of the world and the expectations and the, and the assumptions of what we should be doing will light. If you just like surrender your life, you'll be lightened up. Your life will be lightened up. And so today I'm going to talk about the fact that complacency is less than passion. If we want to lighten up our walk with Jesus and following Jesus, then we're going to walk a life of passion. A couple weeks ago, Caleb talked about comparison versus calling. Stop comparing yourselves and start living the calling that you have on your life. Control and surrender was last week. Hey, let's stop trying to control everything and surrender everything. And we start living a life that's light and attractive to this world. We're not bound by legalism and the expectations and the criticism of other people. We're walking surrendered and living the life that Jesus wants us to live. So let's talk about complacency and passion this morning. Complacency, the definition of that word complacency is self-satisfaction especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. When I think about complacency, I think about going to theme parks. I grew up about 40 minutes away from the Six Flags in our St. Louis area. And um, yeah, that's right, St. Louis. Okay, anyway, um, that Midwest. Okay, um, so I, love, I loved going to the, the theme parks mostly because I got to be with people. What I did not like was the rides. People are like, really, Chrissy, you seem like you're, you have, would have fun on rides. I'm like, no, I don't like rides. I was a person who collected all the cameras, the half-eaten pretzels, and like the bags that people didn't want to take on the ride. I'm like, I got it. I got it. I'll hold it with you. And I would stand with the other adults who weren't, not other adults, I was really young. I would stand with the adults who no longer rode roller coasters anymore because it's, yeah, it's just why? Why put yourself under that, the stress? So I would just hold their things and I would say goodbye, have fun on your adventure and possibly losing your life. You know, I hated roller coasters. I mean, one of the roller coasters was called the Screaming Eagle. That sounds horrible. Like Screaming Eagle and like all these dips and ah! I don't want to go through that. The other one's called the Ninja. And I mean, you look at it, it's white and red and like fierce and it's like... I hated the twirling ones. I'm like, and I've ridden them before. I'm like, why do you want to put yourself to going like this and like going, you know? And so I would just be really, really calm and, and, and cool and collective, holding other people's baggage and living a complacent life. It's complacency. You're, you're, you think that you're avoiding danger, but what you're really missing out on is living out the adventure of the screaming eagle, the adventure of the ninja out of actual fear. Complacency 
is oftentimes tied to fear. And so here's what I kind of vowed to myself as I recognized that I was missing out on a lot of stuff. I recognized that, hey, I have kids now, right? This is like 20 years later. I have kids now. I am going to ride rides. I'm going to experience the experience, and I'm going to pop a couple of Dramamine because all these rides make me sick. But every time I come into theme park, I am going to ride the ride at least once, just once. No, any, and I just need to have the experience once. And so I was at Disneyland. My friend Megan was with me, and I was with my little one, Kai, and he was finally tall enough to ride more rides. He's four years old at this point. And my friend's like, oh my gosh, you have to ride Soarin'. Disneyland, anybody ever ride Soarin'? Do you know what ride it is? I didn't know anything about it, and I was scared to death. Soarin', Soarin', Screaming Eagle. I was fiercely scared. I was scared, okay? It just, it just, I was like, oh my gosh, what is this ride all about? And so when I was like, okay, the whole time in line, I was like, what is this about? And like, Megan's just laughing at me. She's just like all out laughing at me. She's like, it's not that bad. I'm like, what do I do with my shoes? My burks are going to fall off. And what happens? It's going to be on the ground. And like, what do I do? Is Kai going to be okay? He's only four. He's like right at the line. What's going to happen with his life? And so I am getting ready to go on the ride, and I strap in. And I don't know what is happening, guys. I don't know what's about to happen. It's like all these, like all these seats, and she, I fall, all of a sudden I feel it moving up. And I go, oh, my God. And there's like nothing in front of me. Like I could just fall off. I am so scared. And again, Megan's just laughing at me. And so, you know, it's like each row goes up one, two, three. I was scared to death, but I only went up to the first level. But still, I was like, ah! And then... I recognize that it's just a screen in front of me showing me clips of the world, but still, the whole time, I'm like, like, you know, motion sickness kind of, and then, like, you're falling into an ocean, and dolphins are jumping around you, and you're like, <gasps> I was like this, and I'm like holding Kai, and I'm like, you're going to be okay, and he's just like, ah. and mommy's just like that, and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I just kept on living the complacent life that I always lived in, like, these, in these theme parks then I was going to miss out seeing my son live his best life. He was living his best life. I was going to miss out on the things that I could overcome, these fears, these illegitimate fears. These, we shouldn't be fearing some things, and if we walk out in faith, then we recognize all that God has for us and the experiences and the adventures that he wants us to live. Christians aren't supposed to be boring Let's not be boring. Let's walk out of complacency. And the opposite of complacency is passion. 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 Here's the thing about complacency. It says that self-satisfaction is accompanied with unawareness of actual dangers. And here's the danger of living a complacent life. You're missing out on all that God has for you. The danger is that you're just kind of, you know, watch your friends hold all your own baggage and just say, hi, have fun, bye have fun, you're going to have way more fun than me and live out an adventure, and I'm going to be missing out on making an impact in this world because I'm so complacent. The danger of living a complacent life is just being a bystander. It's, there's a danger of living a only self-satisfied life. There's a real danger in living a meaningless life, a purposeless life. You have those moments of you feel like you have no purpose, there is no meaning, and it's devastating I want to walk out in faith and live a life outside of complacency to experience all that God has for me because he has more for you. He has more for you. So I want to walk in passion. In John Tyson's book, The Burden is Light, 
and this is a book that a lot of this series is based off of. He says this, underneath all the demands of life is a gnawing need for the cause worthy enough to give our lives to. A cause worthy enough to give our lives to. And the cause of Christ is one of the best causes I can think to live for. The growth of his kingdom is the best cause I can believe and, and live for. And believe it or not, the demands of this world, the expectations of society and the opinions of others are exactly the burdens that are put on us and suck the passion out of us. And when we allow all those things, the expectations of society and opinions of other attach themselves to us, then we start living a complacent life. But God has called us to a life of passion. So what do I want to tell you today? That a wasted life is one of complacency and self-preservation, while a meaningful life is marked by passion, is marked by passion and freedom. So we're going to walk through somebody's home, Mary and Martha's home, and we're going to see how Mary has lived a life of passion. This is the quintessential passionate person. John 12, 1 through 8, if you if have your Bibles, open them up or follow along on the screen. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, um, they welcome Jesus in their home, and they, they uh, just serve him a meal, and you'll see what happens. Six days before the Passover, this is right before he... Jesus is about to die on a cross, and this is actually a few days or weeks after Lazarus is, he rises from the dead because Jesus brings him out of death into life. So six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray Jesus, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And have, having charge of the money bag, he used to keep, help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it guides us and it helps us to understand how you want us to conduct ourselves in this world. God, it gives us a reason to be passionate about. So thank you, Jesus, for your word. May it illuminate in our hearts and our minds, and may we be changed because of what we read here today. We love you in your precious name. Amen. So why do you think that we live complacent lives rather than passionate ones? I have three quick reasons for you. Number one, I believe that some of us just don't value Jesus enough. We don't value Jesus enough. When we fail to understand the value of Jesus, we resist passion and sometimes become offended by other people's passion. Have you ever experienced that before when you're the only person who's passionate about something and everybody's like, whoa, calm yourself, calm down? Well, Mary understood the value of Jesus. Mary, the one who poured out all the oil onto Jesus, she didn't just dab it on him like many people did for their guests when they came over for dinner in that day. They would dab it on their guests. It was just kind of a tradition. No, she broke the bottle and poured it all out on him using her hair to, to wash his feet. Mary responded this way 
because she knew what Jesus was about. Jesus was about love. Jesus was about acceptance. Jesus was about raising people from the pit of their hell and bringing them to life. That's what Mary was responding to, who Jesus was. She understood the value of Jesus. Judas Iscariot, on the other hand, he was walking closely with Jesus day by day by day by day and still was offended by Mary and was like, why are we, why are we wasting all that oil? I wonder how many people in the church who come week after week, serve even, serve and maybe even, I don't know, give a lot of money. I, I wonder if we're walking by Jesus every day, supposedly, we have like a scripture verse on our, on our cubicle at work. Everybody knows that we're Christian. We have a fish. We have a fish on our car. But do we ever get offended when people are more passionate than we are? Is it just because we're not as passionate? Judas Iscariot no longer recognized the value of Jesus, and I believe he drifted away even though he was within arm's reach of Jesus. Let's not be that church. Let's be the church that walks closely to Jesus and recognizes everything that we do is about him. Our life is centered and hinges on Jesus. Our salvation hinges on Jesus. Our future hinges on Jesus. The way we parent hinges on Jesus. The way we operate ourselves and work hinges on Jesus. Let's value Jesus. And when we value him, we walk a meaningful life. We don't value Jesus enough is why we choose complacency. And maybe second, we value the pragmatic too much. Listen to this in Mark 14.4. It's the same account of the scripture I read in John, but it says this. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300. I could have gotten more bang for my buck is what it's saying. And they scolded her. The human propensity is to judge people based on pragmatic value. In other words, we calculate and we control and we, and we determine what should be given or what should be withheld. But God's just saying, no, just pour yourself out on me. Let's not measure everything practically. The things of this world is all practical, but the things of heaven sometimes don't always make sense or don't always add up. I don't know why the people who give 10% all the time end up with more in their bank account. They operate out of just 90% of their giving, but yet they are able to give so much more. I believe it's because they're operating in heavenly ways, not earthly ways. Let's stop thinking so pragmatically. When we measure things, this is what John Tyson says, the author and the pastor that we, we draw a lot of this teaching from. When we measure things only by their ability to produce results and not for their intrinsic worth, the world is flattened down to one dimension and beauty and delight are squeezed out of it. When we just are trying to be productive Americans, trying to make it in this world, then our passion is sucked out of us. Let's not be too pragmatic. The complacent life is one that is calculated, controlled, and hesitant. And I, I was thinking about this when Caleb recently asked me. He has the opportunity to go speak at, um, in Seattle um, and also participate in a tournament, a golf tournament. And so he's going to bless people. He's going to take Canaan with him. And he's like, hey, what do you think? Is that okay? And he's like, and I'm like, yeah, sure, go. Go for it. But typically, I think in the past, I would have been like, let me pray about it. Let me pray about it and calculate how many days will he be gone from me because that's going to mean I have to take care of the kids by myself. Okay, that's going to mean that he can't drive. That's going to mean that it's going to cost more to take the plane. And sometimes when we're praying for people, we're just calculating. 
We're just calculating and controlling. You know, the other day, I, my sister was going through these struggles, and she'd be okay with me saying this, but she's like, just pray for me about this, pray for me about that, pray for me about that. I was like, no, I'm not going to pray for you anymore. I already know what to do. We're just going to say, make the right decision. You know what to do. Just say yes. What did you just say? You said that the missionaries that shared with us, the West, they were saying, sometimes our, our job is just not to figure everything out. Our job is to say yes to Jesus. That shows your passion. I mean, I'm not saying be mindless and not even think about the practical, some practical things, but sometimes we know what the practical things are. You know, when people ask us, though, oh, will you help me move? We're like, oh, let me pray about it. It's going to take a lot, you know? You know how much work it's going to take. You know that it's a Saturday that you're just going to chill, Netflix, and chill. I know that that's what you want to do. But no, let's stop praying about things in a controlling sense. But let's be in lives and people that are in prayer all the time so we're ready to say yes. And so we know exactly what to do when the moment and the opportunity comes. That's a life of passion. And number three, I think sometimes we are complacent because we value the opinions of others more than the opinions that Jesus has of us. What does Jesus think about us? And, you know, I, I loved youth ministry, youth and young adult ministry. And 10 years ago, Caleb and I were in the throes of young adult and youth ministry. But one thing that I would always say to the girls who, man, would dress or behave a certain way because of the opinions of others, would look a certain way because of what a guy said. I said, we all have these emotional bank accounts. And somebody told me this when I was younger. My mentor told me this, and it stuck with me. But sometimes we have these, not sometimes, we always have these emotional bank accounts that if we allow so many people to deposit so many good things in us and we receive it so quickly, that the same people or maybe even other people who don't love us, when they, like, say something mean about us, or when they say something that they don't like about us, then that leaves us bankrupt, because as easily as they were able to deposit in your life, so easily they were able to withdraw. So what opinions about others and the life that you're living? The, the opinions are saying, why, why love Jesus that much? Why serve that much? Why give that much? Holy cow, like, that's a lie. Like, don't, what, why do we allow those opinions to mean more than us, when God, more to us than when God's saying, just give, just give freely. I have given my life to you so freely. Give your life freely, and I promise you it'll be a life of brave surrender and freedom and passion and a life worth living, a meaningful life. Let's stop valuing the, the opinions of others. And here's what I find that happens also. Not just the opinions of others and the criticism of others, but sometimes we're our worst critics. Sometimes we're like, oh, man, I can't serve in that capacity because there's a lot of married couples. I'm just going to wait over here until I find my spouse, and then I'll come join you. Or other people are just going to say, oh, I only make minimum wage. I'll start tithing once I, I make six figures. Guess what? It's going to take a little longer if you're going for minimum wage. I, just saying. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to withhold. I'm going to control. I'm going to be complacent. I'm going to be complacent, and I'm just going to wait until I have an excess to be able to give. No, God's saying, give extravagantly. Just give more. Give ridiculous. Um, um, give, give to your family members that don't have anything. That car that's been sitting, that excess that you have that you feel like you don't have, you just have that car that's sitting there. Maybe you were supposed to give that car to somebody. You know, go fix it up and give it to somebody. I don't know, who, somebody who needs it. That, that, that stuff in the attic, go, go put it in a bag and gift it to somebody. 
What are the things that we can be doing and giving and not withholding because we're actually just controlling and we're actually just being complacent? We're just being complacent. God wants us to live a life of passion. John Tyson says this again, we want to realize an immediate return for whatever we invest in, but beauty doesn't fit within the framework. The beauty of uncalculating generosity is not to be measured by the yardstick of utility. We are not just robots in the kingdom of God. We're contributing, passionate people that know that our generosity gets carried way further than we can ever do on our own in the kingdom of God. And his economy gives more and an abundance more, and he pours out on us a blessing. So how do we live a life of passion? How do we live a life of passion? Uh, the, the, the definition of passion is this, to sh- Strong and barely excuse me, strong and barely controllable emotion, intense emotion, compelling action. King David is the quintessential worshiper, the quintessential worshiper, follower of God, devout, passionate. He's always known as this passionate person in 2 Samuel 6:14. It says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might, with all his might, with all his heart, mind, and soul. He was passionate. I think of Elf when he says, I'm in love, I'm in love, I don't care. You know, you know that part? That was a good turn. I, 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 that is passion, right? And then sometimes we just think, oh yeah, passion is outward. I am not, I'm going to come on a Sunday morning, I'm just going to raise my hands and maybe my foot and I'm going to be passionate. That's not what passion is. Passion is more than this outward behavioral expression. It's a condition of our hearts. As I, as I speak this morning, I think some of us are saying, man, I'm passionate. I got this. Uh, that's what I was thinking. I was like, yes, Caleb, he gave me passion. I'm going to talk about passion. I'm going to scream and dance and jump around on stage. But that's not what passion is. It's a condition and a posture of your heart. Some people are like, I'm so passionate. I don't care what other people think. Well, some of us have to care what other people think because we're not just connected to the head, Christ. We're connected to the body. And if our passions aren't serving the body of Christ, then it's self-serving. So sometimes we're so passionate about our passions that we don't realize that they've become idols in our lives. Our passions have become idols in our lives when we start stepping out in faith, stepping out in faith and making a way for ourselves going to make this happen. I'm going to strive. I'm going to do it in my own capacity. Pragmatically, I know I can figure out a way to make. That's not a step of faith. That's controlling. Striving places the burden all back on you. And serving Jesus becomes hard again because we're trying to do it on our own. Serving Jesus has got to be out of the overflow of the passion of our hearts where we're serving the body. We're serving people. We're serving people and it's not something where we're glorified. Sometimes the complacency, that self-satisfaction can morph into self-glorification and self-importance. Passion is this, the suffering, the suffering and death of Jesus. Suffering and enduring. That's what passion is. Did you hear me? It's not just about what you love to do. It's about suffering and enduring for the cause greater than yourself. You know, I I was at a prayer meeting last night and we're blessing an organization that's opening up title boxing at the ice blocks and we're praying for them. And you know what? 
we're doing that because it wasn't like, hey, look at us, we're awesome boxers and our Instagram is awesome. No, it's because they're like, everything we've poured into this, our blood, sweat, and tears are gonna give God glory and this is gonna be a platform for Him to be glorified, not us. That was the heart of it. Are we doing our jobs? Are we pursuing things that are saying, we're gonna do this for the glory of Jesus, for the glory of God, not for the glory of myself? Are we gonna pour our blood, sweat, and tears? Are we gonna work harder for the name of Jesus? Not in our own strength, but in His strength. I'm telling you, if you just pursue things where people are gonna be praising you all the time for, and they're only praising you, then ask yourself if this is self-glorifying. 2 Samuel 6, 14 through 6. And after David was dancing, because you know what had happened? He had brought the Ark of the Presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, all the way back to Jerusalem. And that was what he was mandated to do. Somebody mishandled the Ark and he dropped dead um, right there on the spot. And so David recognized that this calling and this road and this, 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 this thing that God had called him to do was a, a big deal. So when he got to Jerusalem, he danced with all his might. He said, I made it. God preserved my life. We made it back to Jerusalem. I was obedient. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him because he gave me the strength to do that. He gave me the team to be able to do it. And we want to be that way. But guess what happens a few verses later? Michael, his wife, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Michael looked on David the way that Judas looked on Mary. But I want you to know, David worshiped anyways. He worshiped anyways. He praised God anyways, because his heart was pure. His heart was to serve. His heart was not about himself. His heart was passionate to pursue what God wanted him to pursue. So how do we live passionate lives? Remember, it's a position and a posture of our hearts but we need to first reorder our priorities. Don't just put God first. And I'm not saying, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna praise him in the morning, I'm gonna worship him in the morning and the rest of my life, just whatever follows, follows. No, let's make him the center of our lives. Listen, complacency compartmentalizes Jesus. It doesn't prioritize him, it, it, it compartmentalizes him. And he wants to be the center of every area of your life. And when you have him at the center of every area of your life, you're compelled to give more. You're compelled to serve more. You're compelled to walk in obedience. You're compelled to tell more people about Jesus. What are you doing with your time? Are you called to serve more? Are you called to get involved in a team here? We're actually breaking down here. If anybody wants to join, you're welcome to. Don't be complacent. Okay, um, resources. Is God calling you to be radically generous? Is he calling you to give? Repurpose your rest, number two. How else do we, how else do we live passionate lives, reorder your priorities, number two, repurpose your rest. You know what's normal? Is that on your day off, you just Netflix, like binge, binge Netflix, or you scroll through Instagram, like I finally have time to waste more time. I mean, that's really what it is. But here's what Luke 10, 40, 41 says, and I love this. Again, we're at Mary and Martha's house. They're receiving Jesus again, and, and Martha's serving, and Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. It says this, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do 
Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone, just sitting at your feet? She's not doing anything. I need help in the kitchen. How many people do that? Well, I do. <laughs> Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. She chose the one thing in her rest, in her time with Jesus, in her rest, she just spent time at the feet of him, seeking him, learning more about him, talking to him, being in his presence. What are we doing with our rest? Repurpose your rest to be in the presence of God, to draw nearer to him, to be in his word to serve, repurpose your rest, and live a life of passion. Bring your attention outside of the things of this world and repurpose your thoughts on Him and center your life on Him and your rest. Number three, rethink your metrics. Are you thinking pragmatically too much? Are you always weighing what's logical? Are you measuring how much you give based on who's gonna criticize you? Are you are you, are you giving more because so many people are praising you? What are your motives? Ask, ask God about them. Tell Him to reveal that to you. Are you serving because you're calculating whether you're needed or not? You don't tell God if, like, ah, I don't think they need me. Ah, I don't think that organization needs me. I don't know if my cousin who wants more time with a mentor and they're like, I don't think they really need me. Yeah, they probably do. Just serve, just step out and step out of faith and get involved somewhere else outside of yourself. Don't determine the metrics for what you should and shouldn't do. Just do it. Passion says, just say yes and just do it. Number four, reorient yourselves to the word of God. All the criticism and praise that this world gives us, we need to put it all up against the word of God. The Word of God will tell us who we are in Him. Reorient yourself to the Word. Spend time in the Word. Study the Word. You guys, I'm telling you, every week we try to give you application to the Word that we're studying. And every time it's going to be pray and read the Word. You're like, oh my gosh, seriously? Yeah, because it's that's true. It's just true. Reorient yourself to the things that the Word says about you. Think on things that are true. Think on things that are lovely. Think, think on things, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are of good report, whatsoever things are lovely. Think on these things. They're good things. Think of what God says about you. You are chosen. You're not forsaken. He is everything that He meant you to be. By when you were in your mother's womb, you were meant to be in her womb. You have a purpose. Live out that purpose and that passion because he created you the way he did. Read his word and learn about it. Learn more about yourself and what he says about you. We want to live a, live a meaningful life, right? If you want to live a meaningful life, I want you to dare to break the bottle of anointing oil. I, I dare for you to just break it, not just dab it delicately in the little thing. I'm going to go to church sometimes, dab it. I'm gonna serve once a month, dab it, dab it, I'm sorry, <laughs> I said dab it, dab it, delicately dab it, I'm just gonna give a little here, I'm gonna give maybe once every month, I think God's calling us to be extravagant, break the bottle, pour it all out, let's let our lives be a spiritual act of worship, everything we do, everything we say, let's be the annoying person who prays about everything, everything, that's passion. It's not jumping up and worship, although we give you a place and it's great. You're welcome to here. It's not just that. It's what's the condition of your heart. Are you willing to give and break the bottle? Break the bottle. 
there is more power in a moment of passion than a lifetime of mediocrity. And that's gonna leave an impact on generations and generations and generations to come. Some of us are ruining our lives, wasting it away, dwelling on the thoughts of other people and the expectation that this world brings on us to make more, to do more, to perform, to achieve. And, and God's saying, no, your life should be ruined for the kingdom of God to share the gospel, to share the love of Jesus. Some of you have experienced the love of Jesus and you're just dabbing your life and just say, here's a little bit there. No, break the bottle because you know what God did for you. The same way Mary knew that her, her brother was brought back to life. We were brought to life because of Jesus. We were forgiven. We were, we were, we, we have mercy, endless in our, our endless mercy and we're forgiven for things that we've not even done wrong in our future. That's why we live a life of passion. That's why we pour it all out on him. That's why we break the bottle. We break the bottle and allow it to pour out, not just dab it in a nice, perfectly curated with a little, you know, twig on it, make it pretty and Pinterest perfect. No, we're called to break the bottle and pour our lives out for him because Jesus is worth it. Because you know what Jesus did on a cross? He broke his body for us. His body was broken for us. And he poured everything out for us. All of his forgiveness, all of his grace. And he said, I will take the rap for everything that you've done wrong in your past and everything you've done wrong in your future. You don't all, no longer have to carry guilt or shame. I'm breaking my life and pouring it all out. It's worth it to live for Jesus and the cause of Christ. Would you close your eyes in this place and bow your heads?